following is a podcast episode brought to you by your friends at WSCA 106.1 FM, Portsmouth Community Radio. For more information on how you can become a member, please visit us at www.wscafm.org forward slash support. family member in recovery. And what that means to me is that I have family members um, who are in recovery and my life was affected um, by substance use disorder most of my life. It was it negatively impacted my own health and well-being. Um, and my family members were able to get into recovery, and I actually did myself as well. And our lives were um, dramatically improved by that. Welcome to episode two of the Thanks for Asking chapter of WSCA Addiction and Recovery podcast series. This week we hear from Kerry, who lives in Berwick, Maine, who will share her experience, strength, and hope as a family member dealing with loved ones who are affected by alcoholism and addiction. Hello, Kerry. Hi, thanks for asking me to come. So, Kerry, um, I have to confess, I know you, so... <laughs> This is probably going to be a little bit more conversational than some of the other um, interviews that we've done. So tell us, who is Carrie? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my, I, I'm, my name is Carrie Norton. Um, I'm not very anonymous. I'm also a nurse, and I am a mom and a grandmother and a new puppy um, mom, too. What's the puppy's <laughs> name? Her name is Polly. Her name is Polly. And what kind of a dog is she? She's a French bulldog. A French bulldog. So, um, so Carrie, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing with the fact that you're also the founder and executive director of Hope on Haven Hill. I am. Yep. Yeah. So I was a, I was a labor and delivery nurse, maternal child health nurse for about 25 years. Um, and I, I was a co-founder and I'm now the executive director of Hope on Haven Hill, which is in Rochester, New Hampshire, which is a pregnant and parenting um, substance use disorder treatment program and recovery housing. Well, you're very, very busy. I recognize that. We really appreciate you uh, taking part in uh, this project that we have here at WSCA. Um, I also want to give you props for being one of the early supporters of Safe Harbor Recovery Center which is right next door here on Islington Street in Portsmouth. So, again, we want to thank you. Vivian and I want to thank you for that. 
Um, Thank you. It was an honor to be able to, that was one of the things that helped me right off the bat was um, meeting people in recovery and meeting people that wanted to make a difference and figure things out. And so that was a big part of my own recovery. Well, we're very fortunate in New Hampshire because of all the support that we get, not only from um, the uh, growing financial support that we get from the state, but also from the generosity of private donors and grants and so on and so forth. We're able to keep kind of the drumbeat going in terms of the services that we provide. Mm-hmm. So um, as a family member of somebody in active addiction, or let me back up. Mm-hmm. Are you a family member of someone in active addiction? And if so, tell us about that experience. Sure. I am, I am right now, I'm a family member of somebody, of multiple people in recovery. So I have, I have several sons and other family members in general in recovery right now. Excellent. Um, yeah. Excellent. And um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what the impact has been on you as, you know, somebody who is a mom or brother, sister, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. sister, or, um, you know, whatever family member that uh, you're comfortable talking about. And if you want to take your time and talk about maybe the different, you know, impact that these might have in terms of those relationships to you. Yeah, sure. You know, so I've been affected my my entire life by substance use disorder. Uh, You know, my dad died from alcoholism um, and I became a nurse um, and I did women's health care. And so Growing up, my children heard lots and lots and lots about the dangers of even genetic alcohol use disorders and drug use disorders and women's health issues and reproductive rights. <laughs> and to the, to, they didn't love it, but they heard it lots and lots and lots. And um, so, but I have two sons that, you know, are both in recovery. And as a mom, it's a whole new ball game. So it was really hard, you know, growing up with a dad who, you know, suffered with alcoholism and he eventually died from alcohol use. And it was terrible. Um, but the, nothing prepared me um, to be a mom of um, anybody that had a significant substance use disorder. I, it was in 2014, I I saw it clearly happening and I didn't know what it was for sure, what the drug of the choice at the time was. I was worried about alcohol for many years um, and things got progressively worse. And when my, when one of my sons finally told me that he had, you know, he was struggling with a heroin, I was speechless because at the time in 2014, I didn't know anybody who uh, who recovered from heroin sure um, and so the first thing that really helped me honestly was becoming educated and getting support so as soon as i sort of became educated to know that a whole bunch of people were able to recover and live an amazing life then i said oh that's what my son's going to do um and where did you get that I, education who did you go uh, to i got it from the recovery community so thank you know thank goodness one of my friends actually read a newspaper article about about sandy Coyle and her desire to you know start a recovery center and he said um there's this open house type thing um and it was at the news. It was at your radio station that you're at. Oh, today. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. We did the original and, community outreach yeah, here. Yeah. And so he brought me there, and you know, 
I, I just sort of went there thinking, I don't know, but I've got to do something. And, you know, I had started to go to support groups. I had started to go to Al-Anon and Families Hoping and Coping. And that was starting to help me, you know, a little bit. But um, it was really, really, really helpful to start to meet people that um, were, were in recovery. And so I kind of got a tribe and I started to have purpose and I sort of went through the whole process. Were you concerned and, at all about the stigma? I mean, was stigma a barrier to you coming in and talking to others? So it wasn't for me. Um, but I hate it. I do hate stigma. So, I, you know, my my son in particular had had other medical conditions that were life threatening in his life. He has, you know, a significant as growing up, you know, he spent a lot of time at Boston Children's with other medical conditions. And, you know, I had lots of support. And I was one of those moms that, you know, I did get casseroles and I got cards and I got tons and tons of support. And so it, there was a vast difference. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, that's got to change. And so I also am kind of a person that's really out there. And I knew that our family, as long as my son was okay with it, I knew that we couldn't be quiet about it because I realized that like, it was only going to be, we were only going to, you know, I knew so many people were struggling and if that was happening and people weren't getting help because they felt embarrassed to ask, right. then, then we had to make a difference. And so, you know, we became pretty vocal and out really early on. Um, and, you know, that we felt like that was really important. Mm. We, we really, I'm a nurse and it, 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 it was the same thing for me. It felt very healthcare like to me he had you know it's, it seemed like something that needed to be treated supported and you know not shamed and not talked about so are you a mama bear I I, I guess I'm a, I am a mama bear and so given that I mean was the tendency to try to fix things yeah, I did everything wrong initially. So, you know, I did every, but, it, but I also realized in hindsight, I had to do all of the things. And so I had to go through a process of doing all of the things to know what to do anyways, because I know so many people that need help and, ha and, and nobody is the same on how they get help and how they get better. And so, you know, I had to kind of do a lot of trial and error. And I realized for my own self, in my family members' recoveries, they both look very different, both of my sons, and the vast amount of people that I that I care for in general, people get better in different ways. Their mm. families heal in different ways. The way, um, the, the thing that I find most important is that they have support, that they have support, they're not judged for how they're doing it, and that, you know, that they're just given the support to know that it's hard it's you know there's lots of trial and error and you know it's it's just it's a journey that everybody does a little bit differently so let's let's talk a little bit about what those days weeks and months would look like and if you want to maybe focus on one so that you can kind of be illustrative sure. that's fine uh or if you want to yeah. kind of combine them but i mean Let's talk about when you first discovered that your first son who was um, dealing with um, heroin yeah. addiction, how, how did you come to learn about it and what was your first reaction? Yeah, so, you know, he was still living at our house 
and he had a really, really good job. Um, he, he was living with us with his young son and he had a good, well, you know, paying job. And I accidentally opened um, mail of his one day and it was that he hadn't paid his car payment in several months. And I, I honestly had thought that he had an alcohol issue, mm -hmm. which he did, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's what I, you know, and, um, and also, you know, some mental health, you know, depression, anxiety, things like that. But I asked him where, why he hadn't paid his car payment. And, um, you know, he gave me a, he, he got escalated and was like really defensive. And we had a couple of days back and forth um, of, and I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And then um, when I asked him again, several days later, he, he broke down and he said, I have no money. And he was making a good pay job. He said, I have no money. Um, and I've been in, I had thought that he had maybe even had been stealing from money from us. And he said, um, I have a problem. I have a big problem and I, I've tried to get help and I haven't been able to get the help that I need. And I said, what kind of, a, what's going on? And he said, and he just broke down and said that he was using heroin. And um, I was shocked and, um, you know, I, I said, well, this was in the evening and I said, we'll figure it out tomorrow. We'll get you help immediately tomorrow. I don't know what this will look like at the time. I didn't say this to him, but I didn't know anybody that had ever recovered from a heroin addiction. I was, right. I didn't, I knew alcohol addiction. I, all of the other addictions I could think of, I had seen, I did, but in my career as a nurse and as a, as a person, I had not met anybody that had recovered from heroin. Addiction. Right. I mean, people my age, and I'm sure you're way younger than I am. Um, but you know, it, where I grew up, it was a death sentence. I mean, when we grew yeah. up and there was somebody and who was dealing yeah. with quote unquote serious drugs, it was a death yeah. sentence. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the next morning, you know, he was still under my insurance, my health insurance. I called with him and he gave me the story and I honestly didn't believe him. I tried to be really like, not mean about it, but like, I was like, cause he was like, I've been trying trying. And I was like, really? So I helped, you know, him call and it was, it was terrible. And I was like, so frustrated. And so, you know, we finally got him in to get an evaluation at his primary care who also didn't know what to do and it was it was kind of a mess so he got into an IOP like eventually I think like a month later yeah, intensive outpatient for those who don't yep. know what an IOP is but yep and so in my mind and at this point I had connected with some people and I was like okay I've talked to people I've heard about it you can recover and in my head I was like perfect. He'll do this program and then we'll be better. This will be all much, much better. Um, but it wasn't, and it, it actually got much, much worse. Um, and he, um, you know, his, his addiction just got much worse, like almost every day. Um, so my entire family had a really hard time on what to do. Right. We so all, you know, we were getting all kinds of different advice from tons sure. and tons of different people of what to do. And, you know, 
he said he was doing well, that he had graduated his IOP. I didn't believe that he did. He didn't, but like right. at the time, like he was saying he did. Um, and it, it just seemed that he was worse. My husband was hoping for the best. He's like, he's better. He did IOP. Um, and then in January, you know, he overdosed, almost died. And at that point at the hospital, it seemed surreal to me that, you know, like they gave me a, a discharge paper. They called, you know, and yeah. I went down and they mm -hmm. gave me a piece of paper and they said, you know, his instructions were to stop using drugs and to get help. And, um, and I knew how hard it was to get him into an IOP. And so, you know, at that point we left and it was like this nine day hours after hours trying to get him into somewhere. When was and this again? 2014, you said? This was now this was January of 2015. Now. Right. And how old was he at the time? Just so I can level set. He was 22. 22. 22. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And almost 23. Mm -hmm. And then um, he, at that point, we, you know, after nine days, um, I knew like my insurance just, we had private insurance. It was super expensive, you know, that I was paying for. And we just were, we couldn't get him in anywhere. There were all these, you know, wait lists, couldn't get him in. So finally, you know, I, I sold my Disney vacation timeshare and in some of my, you know, in my 401k for him to go to a treatment um, that was out of state. Mm. And um, he, you know, he stayed for, he stayed for less than like 30 hours um, when you say out of state, did you have to put him on an airplane? No, no, it was, but, uh, it was, it was in new England. Okay. And then the only reason I ask is that for many people who I'm familiar with, who have similar stories, um, in that time frame, in the time frame, say 2012 to 2015, yeah. there really wasn't anything in Southern Maine or in New Hampshire yeah. for the most part, certainly not in the yeah. seacoast. And worse, yeah. many of the aftercare professionals didn't know where to go, where yeah. to make a re outbound referral to. So parents such yeah. as yourself were on their own. Is that was that yeah. true in your case? Yeah, it was terrible. It was really awful. And so, you know, he stayed less than 30 hours. But at this point, like our whole family was going, we were going nuts. We were just so afraid he was going to die. And um you know, it almost, you know, my husband and I were at odds on what to do. And I was like, he cannot come home. We just did everything we could to get him the treatment. You know, he's not, if he's doing this, he's not safe. He's not safe to have, take care of his little boy. Um, and so, you know, it was about, it was less than four days that we didn't let him come home. Um, and that, and he, you know, had another overdose situation and became pretty suicidal and was admitted, you know, into the behavioral health unit. Mm -hmm. um, and then was able to, um, to get into another IOP with medication assistance and um, medication, really well. uh, methadone, suboxone, both. Yeah, he was on buprenorphine. Yep. So he, so he, he went on suboxone um, and he did really well. He, um, he got really connected with people in the 12 step um, community. And then because he was on Suboxone though, he did have a lot of stigma with, you know, sure. 
with people in the 12 step community. Right. That was hard for him. Um, I was doing like, it, it was, it was like night and day. Um, he was, you know, he was engaged in outpatient treatment. He was able to work. He, the medication worked really wonderful for him. And like six months later, he's like, I want to go off this medication because I really like the 12 step stuff. And, and so as a mother, I was like, no, I want you to be on that forever. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> and, in and um, of itself is not going to kill you. <laughs> and I was like, so it was like, for me, it was the opposite. I was like, oh my gosh, no. And so I, you know, I then had to find myself again, like sort of like, having to step back and being like, this is not my choice. This is not out of my control. And this is nothing that I can like do myself here. And so it was another whole piece of sort of coming to terms yeah. with things. So how did you, um, and how did you, you, and first of all, how did you, you and your husband cope with all of this? Really poorly. So until, until, you know, we both, you know, we, we both had different coping mechanisms. Um, I really did throw myself into, you know, counseling and support groups and found like really support in that way. And then I, but then I had to like do all of the work. I had to do a lot of work um, on how to be okay when my kid might not be okay. Right. Um, and then I, and I also threw myself into starting an organization um, which was really, um, helpful because I didn't have a whole lot of time <laughs> doing that. Right. Um, and then, you know, but it, it took, it took, you know, a good year or two, um, before we really sort of felt like we were okay. Um, and we, you said a year or two. Yeah. And then really a year did. or two after what? After we got clean for the final time? Yeah, or, okay. Yeah, it really took us about a year or two. Um, and in between that, you know, our other son also went through, right. you know, a really scary time, had a completely different recovery. He actually just went all 12 steps and did yeah. really well. So, yeah. like, you know, it, yeah, you it know, just shows like you what works. Yeah, what yeah, works for I one. I felt like the universe was trying to show me, like, see, it's everybody's different. Um, so, you know, it was, it was really, it was for me as a mother, you know, it, it didn't matter to me what the problem was. I felt, you know, as a mother, my child had a life threatening um, disorder that, you know, unlike other ones, I couldn't, um, I could not, I couldn't do much about right. except, you know, make sure that I did everything that I could to be okay myself. So I could be there for them to support them in whatever journey they took. And that, and it sounds simple, but it wasn't, it was really hard um, because I'm a nurse and I love to fix things. And, um, and so it was super hard for me. So what did that do to the family dynamic? I mean, there was no such thing as a normal dinner probably during that no, time frame. Yeah. Um, do you, did you have other children? I, I should know this, but I do. I, ha I do. I have a daughter who, um, who does not have a substance use disorder and um, you know, so I've got a daughter that had less attention because, you know, she had, you know, both of the, my daughter and, and other son actually had a lot of less attention um, because, you know, one of my sons did have a really significant medical condition most mm -hmm. of his life and then had this like really progressing substance use disorder. You know, right. his substance use disorder started in, in high school for sure. And it's, and it was progressive, you know, with, you know, cigarettes and pot and alcohol yeah. and, 
um, and everything else. It was basically just every, anything. And um, so I didn't, I wasn't oblivious to there being a problem. Um, I was just, um, I, a lot of time was spent sort of um, doing a lot of ineffective coping mm -hmm. and attention to it as opposed to living my own life and giving attention to other people in yeah. the family that deserve it. So I'll, I'll come back to that in a second because I really want to talk a little bit more in depth about, you know, the family dynamic and how, um, you know, how you made the pivot into your own self-care and put in boundaries and so forth. Um, but one of the things that you, um, you talked about was the lack of attention and so forth that you had on your other kids. What did, what did this mean in terms of your social life and how did you deal with your outside friends and extended family? What was the impact there? Dirt, when it, when I, when it all kind of came to a head and was really bad. Yeah. So I definitely got, I was significant. I would say I was almost as bad as somebody in active addiction myself, to be honest with you, when it was bad. So I was, I was chase. I was out at night looking for my son. I was knocking on drug dealers doors, asking them not to sell drugs to my son. I was um, sending photos of suspicious cars to police departments and asking why they don't do things. But I was, and I was, um, I wasn't sleeping. I was, I was sick. I was really, really, mm. really sick. Um, I wasn't paying attention to my other um, family obligations to my, you know, to my marriage. I wasn't paying attention, you know, my other son who subsequently did have a substance use disorder, but like, you know, it was his, um, it was his senior year in high school. And literally I woke up like at four in the morning, I think one morning and realized that like yesterday was the day I was supposed to send like a check-in for his college application. So that morning I was like freaking out and crying. And he's like, I, I sent it, I did it. And, um, but like all of those things, like I just, I was completely oblivious to anything and everything except this addiction. Mm -hmm. I was trying to fix it. I was trying to do anything about it. I was reading books that was that were sort of giving me the idea that I wasn't doing what I, you know, was going to be very helpful, right. but like, but almost in still in a, almost a manic way. Like I was just like highlighting books and like making lists of like, you know, crazy things just to, just to try to think how right. I could make him better. I couldn't make him better. He needed treatment. He needed support. He needed me to not be, you know, yep crazy and I was becoming progressively sick. So when did you, um, when, when did you pivot? When did you finally figure out um, what was the moment of uh, transition where you were able to realize that a, you could not do this for him and yeah. B that it was going to require some very difficult decisions on your part in order for him yeah. to realize that only he yeah. could solve this problem. Um, it was before he went to treatment after he had overdosed. Um, I took a leave of absence from work um, because to stay home with him, waiting for his bed for him to get the bed. Mm -hmm. And so we laid on the couch. He, you know, at the time I was thinking that he was detoxing or not, but doing okay. Um, 
he was basically using and I, you know, but yep. I didn't know it at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we laid on the couch, but like we were laying on the couch and I did know, I was like, this isn't normal. Like that I'm laying on this couch with my adult son with a leave of absence, waiting for him to get a bed. But I just kind of kept going. I went to, you know, I went to a couple support groups and, you know, people were really kind and gave me some, you know, ideas, but like I, a seed was planted. I kind of knew I wasn't doing well when he did leave that treatment. And then, um, I realized at that time that like I had a, you know, a one-year-old, his one-year-old baby that I was taking care of. Um, I had, you know, my senior in high school that had had no attention from me. I had, you know, I had my other daughter, um, you know, who was getting no attention from me and not to mention my marriage that got, you know, that was the last on the list. Right. Um, and so, you know, when the, you know, when he did finally go to the pavilion and then was going to do IOP, I sort of made some, I made for the first time in my life, some pretty healthy boundaries of what I was willing to do to help support him besides just saying that I loved him and I hope he would do well because that was where I was almost at. Um, and so I made some pretty healthy boundaries and stuck to them. Um, and it, it, it was helpful because it was hard for my family too. And I had to then work with like, everybody's going to have their own thing. Like I can't be like, this is my boundary. So you all have to do it the same exact thing which was hard. Mm. Um, but as soon as he sort of started to engage and I had set up just these few things that were healthier than I had done, I sort of was able to like start moving forward, um, you know, through therapy and support groups, I was able to start moving forward with, you know, health changes. Um, and, you know, and it was helpful for him um, as well, because you know, I wasn't helping him as much as I was thought I was, mm -hmm. you know, I was just spinning my wheels right. and spinning and spinning. Did so you ever have to, you mentioned something earlier about, um, he left treatment early, um, yeah. and that you wouldn't let him back into the house. What was that like knowing that he was out there on his own and so that you, was that was the worst. Yep. That was the very worst. That was a breaking point for me and for our family. Um, you know, we 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 also we knew that he had just got like his IRS check card, and you know, and it was we just were so unreasonable in a way because my husband said he's if he leaves and doesn't have anywhere to stay, he'll freeze to death. And, you know, at the time, like he probably had like $4,000 on this IRS refund card. And I was like, he's got more money than us. We just, we just sold everything to send him to treatment right. and he just left. He's, right. he's not going to freeze to death. He's, he might overdose and die, but he's not going to freeze to death. Mm -hmm. And so we were just sort of like, so at odds, but, you know, we finally, you know, we put up signs on the, on the on the doors and windows saying, you know, you cannot come here. If you enter, you're trespassing, the police know this. Um, and it was terrible, you know, we had never had to do that. And, um, you know, after the fact, he said it was really the, the biggest thing for him because he'd never had the inability to be with us and to have, you know, us do something like that. So that, that I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a point, Carrie, I think that's worth, um, 
spending a minute on because in all of the interviews that I've been involved with, without exception, that attitude and that realization was the one thing that was probably the greatest contributor in the person in recovery finally getting it. That I've done so much damage and I've caused so much pain that the people who love me the most are willing to shut me out. Yeah. And it's awful and it's really hard. It was really hard. You know, my other son, um, he, he went away for treatment for 30 days and we also didn't let him come back to the house after he knew that we were supporting him and loving him. But we said that when he came back, he could not come back to the house that he could to live that he had to go to sober living and you know it was he was like for how long and it was like I was still in you know such a you know and this was just this was just a year after so like you know I had just gotten like my my footing and um and bam we had you know we had it, it came you know back in a different different way different kid and so, you know, I just threw out an arbitrary number because I didn't know. He was like, well, how long do I have to stay in a sober house? And I was like, six months, you know, I'm like, I don't know. And so, you know, and so he, you know, he, he told me after he was like, you know, at six, you know, I was like, okay, fine, I'll go and stay for six months. And then I'm coming home. And then I'm gonna, he's like, and at the time when I came back from treatment and moved into this sober house, I said to myself, I can do six months. And I can do what I want after, you know, and, and that was still, he was like, and that was still my thinking. And, um, you know, he moved into a sober house at the end of May, it was like June 1st. And and he told me later, he hadn't unpacked his bags, even though he had a room with a closet and, you know, shelves and bureaus until September, because like, he still thought that he might come home and he might convince me that he could come home. Um, but he unpacked in September and it took that whole time for him to start making connections and to start actually doing the work. And he ended up staying there for 18 months on his mm-hmm. own. Like he ended up staying longer because he knew it. Um, and so it always makes me think that, you know, we put these like time frames of like 28 day treatment or a couple months of this or that. And it's like, it takes well, you know, what, you're a nurse, you know, what drives that. Yeah. Insurance. You know, it's just, <laughs> it is, and it's crazy. You know, yeah. it's like, it's so obvious that people need long-term support and systems. And um, so, you know. Yeah, you don't tell a cancer patient that they have 28 days to get well. No, nope. nope. So, so, and that really has always correlated with me because it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, any other medical you know, condition I've always treated has standards of care and you follow them or, you know, as a nurse, I'd get fired or sure. sued if I didn't. Right. And it's like addiction and mental health. It's like, oh, who cares? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, even though there are standards and what we should do and best care, we don't get to do that. <laughs> was there crazy. ever a time, was there ever a time when you blamed yourself or you, you and your husband blame yourself? For, I mean, do you ever reach that sp- do you ever do you ever go yes. there? <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it's really hard for me because, you know, I know it's genetic. I know that he, I know that I'm a good mom. We were good parents, but you know, like we didn't do everything perfect, and you know, and we've got 
there's alcohol issues in our family for sure. Mm. And um, I don't know, we definitely did. It was, a, it, it's, it's one of the hardest things as a parent that you, you, you blame yourself for everything. Mm. Um, and you blame your spouse too. <laughs> was, yeah, was I there- was really good at that. It was yeah. terrible. <laughs> you, he would probably say the same, right? Yeah. <laughs> so was there no, ever a point, was, was there ever a point where you just said, I can't do this anymore. I give up. I didn't, I couldn't. No, no, I didn't. I, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I, I refused to, I was, the hardest thing for me was not letting him come home because at times I thought to myself, I would rather him literally die here than in some stinky place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the hardest thing for me. But like, I honestly, like I didn't, I, and I, and I attribute that to the fact that I connected with people in, in long-term recovery in a recovery community yeah. that said there's hope. And so, you know, I believed it. So I said, if they can, and this is true, then he can too. And that's what's, you know, and that's what helped me. So what have you learned about yourself? Um, (laughs) I learned that a lot of things aren't my business. (laughs) And, you know, I I learned that there's lots of different journeys and everybody has the right to choose their own journeys, even if their mother wants them to choose a different path. (laughs) You know, I would never would choose, I would never want this for anybody. It's so, it's so hard and so difficult. And, um, and then I think, you know, this journey that our family was put on has done so many things for our own family. And, and if we hadn't gone through this, so many other things wouldn't have happened. The people that I have met in the last, you know, six years have absolutely changed my life. Um, and, you know, founding Hope on Haven Hill, people ask me all the time what I, if I knew now what I you know, if I knew then what I know now, would I still do it? And I would. And of course um, you would. And it's, it's, it's so, it is such hard work and it's so, so sometimes it's just so, so sad. And sometimes I can't even sleep at night worrying about somebody. And then I, and then, and then there's people that, it's like, you know, sometimes in a job, you have to take little wins, but like we have big wins. We have people that are doing amazing, amazing things that never, ever, ever had somebody ever think that there was hope. Like right. I always thought my kid could, could make it. And as soon as I knew that there was hope, I was like, yeah, Kurt, that's, that's the path we're taking. We're taking the path. He's going to be in recovery and he'll, this is going to be great. <laughs> Mm. But I, you know, so many of the people that I, that I care for have never, ever had a person ever think that they would ever be okay or care if they're okay. And so, and then I watch them and they're, it's just, it's amazing. And they're these amazing mothers, even though sometimes a whole bunch of them have never been mothered. It's just, it's, it's amazing. So it's a wicked lot of work and it's all worth it. So I've heard it said um, that, well, there's a couple of ways of saying it. In, in AA, it's been said that um, nothing changes if nothing changes. And I've also heard that if you're the same person you were years ago that you are today, 
and you haven't been able to grow. How are you different today than you were before you had to deal with this family illness? Um, I think that I am different. I think that I am, I'm able to let, I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty controlling. <laughs> I, and so, you know, I'm different in that I've opened my eyes and really to understanding that everybody gets, you know, and needs the opportunity to be able to, to live their lives, um, the, you know, the way that they choose. And um, that's, you know, was really hard for me. Um, so that's a big difference for me. Mm. And also, you know, I also, a big difference for me is that, you know, I have like an entire community that I never knew about, even though my entire life, you know, was surrounded, you know, with, with a dad who was an alcoholic, I didn't know this incredible, amazing community and it's the best community ever. So I'm like, that's the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the whole purpose of this podcast is to offer other families hope. Um, cause that's really, I think the one thing that we cling to um, when we're in a situation where we don't have the answers and life seems hopeless, what would be the, some of the things that you would offer as advice to other families who may be yep. listening to this or maybe dealing with the same circumstances? Yep. I would get yourself to a support group, get to yourself to a family's hoping and coping or an Al-Anon, whatever is, uh, you know, a good fit for you, get support um, and find a community of people that will help you. Um, it is, it made all of the difference for me. So support is super important. And also to know that there is hope and people recover and, you know, recovery is possible. Mm. Wow. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share? I mean, is there anything that maybe from your perspective that you think you wanted to say that we haven't quite covered yet? Um, you know, I, I think, I think the most important thing is to never give up hope, never give up hope. And, uh, you know, hope is one of those, it's that currency <laughs> that yeah. we, we hang on to, uh, when nothing else is there for us to hang on to. So yeah. Kerry Norton, I want to thank you for, um, being part of this, um, podcast series. Um, you are a rock star in the community and I know you hate to hear that. And I always tell you that regardless, because I know you hate it. And at the same time, um, I, I want to acknowledge the fact that, um, you do have a lot of, um, resources that you were able to draw upon and you've, uh, helped out a lot of other families just by, you know, being, uh, ever present in the in the community and the work that you're doing with Abby's House and with Hope and even the stuff that you're doing behind the scenes that doesn't necessarily work its way into your uh, recovery oriented businesses. So I want to thank you. I, wanna, I wish you and your husband and your family the best. And thanks so much for turning out for this. Thank you. Thank you so much. This concludes this podcast episode brought to you by your friends at WSCA 106.1 FM, Portsmouth Community Radio. For more information, please visit us at www.wscafm.org.